So I suppose there's something there in terms of how you attack the situation or present yourself that allows you to build confidence. Uh, any thoughts on that, Pete? No, not really. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to yet another absolutely world-class episode of 80% Mental, a podcast all about the psychology of sport. My name is Dr. Pete Olushaga and Hugh Gilmore is also present. Hi, Hugh. Hi, Pete. How are you today? I'm, I'm not too bad. Um, I'm not in my usual recording space, which is, is proving difficult. There's a massive storm outside um, and the internet is patchy down here as well. So okay. we'll, we'll see how it goes. We've overcome worse before though. Yeah. Are you on a boat? I, I, I'm not on a boat. I'm in Wales. Do with that what you will. Kind of similar. Kind of similar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to get straight in. Um, I think this week with the, with the question, and that question is: Is confidence overrated? You know, what what, what do you think about that, Hugh? Do you, do you think confidence is overrated? Uh, I, I think a psychologist would say it's one of the biggest, uh, most important things that you can build or assist an athlete with. Um, that said, it's one of those silly terms that everyone says they just need to be more confident, or they're a confident athlete, and it's uh, it's like a throwaway term that no one really understands. And I think what's really important is that athletes will probably understand it a hell of a lot different to than how sports psychologists understand it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think if we answer that question or to answer that question, we're going to talk about what confidence is, first of all, because, you know, there's the dictionary definition of that. But I think it's one of those terms that means different things to different people. And we'll, we're going to look at why confidence is thought to be important, how it can be developed. Uh, and we've got an interview coming up as well with two world-class athletes, Sophie McKenna and Ali Jawad. Uh, that's coming up a little bit later on. I actually interviewed Ali for a research study years ago, and Sophie was introduced to me via Twitter way back when we were just previewing this podcast. One of our early fans, I think it's fair to say our number one fan. Yeah, possibly, quite possibly. Quite possibly. Um, one of our number one fans introduced us to Sophie and thought that she'd make a great guest. So I reached out and here we are. So we've got Sophie and Ali's interview coming up and they're going to tell us all about what confidence means to them and some of the things that they do to build confidence and to stay confident. But we're going to start with the problem of defining what confidence actually is. And I thought this week, Hugh, you and I could just have a bit of a chat about that for a change. Um, we don't really talk very much, do we, you and I, uh, on the podcast? So I thought it might be nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got a lovely voice and, and so do I. So why not? Let's let's be confident in our use of these lovely voices. And uh, hopefully the audience uh, likes that. So we've talked about being really specific in defining terms before on the podcast because there are a lot of what we've referred to as magic psych words out there. And confidence is a funny one because it really does mean very different things to different people. And I think we need to be clear in separating out some of those other terms that are thrown around when we talk about confidence. So self-esteem, for example, how is self-esteem different to self-confidence? Well, as I understand it, Self-esteem is a term which relates to how you feel about yourself in relation to your ability to do a task and that you're good because you do good things or you also could view that as not related to a task but just that you feel good about yourself because you were nice to yourself today. I think, you know, 
I don't really like self-esteem as a term. Um, and if anybody wants to check out why, they can look at Albert Ellis's book on the myth of self-esteem. And essentially, it's an inflationary model, which means as you do good things, your self-esteem goes up. But also, if you do shit, then your self-esteem goes down. And leaving your self-worth dependent on your performance I don't think that's an adaptive or beneficial feature. And that's how I understand self-esteem. Well, yeah, I think it's interesting that you talk about self-esteem there as the value judgment that you place on yourself. And one of the other terms that that we were going to talk about was self-efficacy. And self-efficacy is this belief in your ability. And regardless of how you value yourself, regardless of what you think of yourself, it's the belief in your ability to execute a particular task. And I think that's very different to self-esteem, which you're saying is that value judgment that you place on yourself, that self-worth. Yeah. I mean, as I understand it, like self-efficacy would be, as you say, the ability to complete a task, confidence that in your ability to do something, where self-esteem is kind of the opposite. Because you complete a task, you are valuable but i guess the point is that you know when we're talking about self-confidence which is what this episode's about we're actually talking about something very specific and self-confidence is often defined as the belief in your ability to achieve your goals or to be successful which i know i just Mm -hmm. said was quite specific but actually that seems quite broad we do have a more specific definition that applies specifically to sport robin veely coined this idea of sport confidence Uh, which was a belief in your ability to be successful in sport. And we'll probably talk about that a little bit later on. But in that model is the idea that confidence is multidimensional. Now, what that means is that there are various areas that we can be confident in. So it's not just this broad concept. We can be confident, for example, in our physical skills and our training. We could be confident in our cognitive efficiency, so how well we perhaps think under pressure. So again, it's important to think about what confidence means to each and every individual that we are working with or that we're dealing with, rather than assuming that it's just this really broad construct. You know, I think for me, the idea that you need to define what you're talking about with the individual is one of the foundational things within sports psychology. And even if it's the term confidence, it really just matters what does the person you're working with or trying to help consider that to be. And that's, you know, 90% of the skill. Quite often, like as psychologists, we'll talk about self-esteem, self-confidence, self-efficacy, sport confidence. And really none of that means anything to the athlete or person you're working with. It's just, can you get to a point of having a good definition? I, I don't know. I mean, do you, do you feel, Pete, as if we spend too much time as psychologists on magical terms and not enough time on, you know, making that relatable to people? Or what value does confidence or these terms have in the applied world for you? Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head there, Hugh, because we do spend, I think anyway, too much time worrying about and arguing about all of those, you know, like we call them magic psych words. And what it really comes down to is what does it mean to the athlete? And, you know, without wanting to get too much into it, this is uh, personal construct theory. And this is just the idea that everybody, you know, if we break it down to its simplest form, this is just the idea that everybody in the world uh, sees their own world in very different ways. If I'm working with an athlete on their confidence, I want to know what that means to them because it doesn't matter what it means to me. So I think absolutely, you know, it's all about what does it mean to the athlete? And I'm hoping that we're going to get to that a little bit in today's podcast episode. 
So I mentioned earlier that we had an interview coming up with Sophie McKenna and Ali Jawad, two world-class athletes. And I think, Hugh, what we'll do is play a little bit of that interview, but maybe stop it every now and again and reflect on what's being said. Maybe link it back to some of the research and some of the theory. Great. That sounds good. I'm confident we can do a good job. So as I mentioned earlier, we're joined today by two fantastic athletes. First of all, we have Sophie McKenna, Britain's number one shot putter world championship finalist and you qualified for the olympics is that right sophie yeah i had a um a really breakthrough season last year in 2019 and uh yeah was lucky enough to throw my olympic qualifying distance so um that puts me in a, a really nice position for for next year and obviously the delay with the olympics must be a, a tad disappointing yeah, I think everyone is is a little disappointed, but I think you've got to kind of put a positive spin on it. And, uh, you know, it's another year to get better, another year to to work out, you know, technical things, especially in my event. Um, and I was injured early in the year. So it's, you know, it's probably done me a lot of favours um, <laughs> in, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not too disappointed about that. We're also joined today by... Ali Jawad, who is a Paralympic silver medalist from Rio 2016 uh, in para powerlifting and a Crohn's disease warrior. That was the way you described yourself, Ali. Yeah. Um, well, for me, like uh, if I say sufferer, I think that's quite negative. I think for me, like, you know, for me, like, I battle Crohn's on a daily basis. So like I do consider myself as a little bit of a warrior. Welcome to the show, both of you guys. Welcome to 80% Mental. Thank you. Thank you very much. We've been talking about confidence in today's episode, and the question that we were asking was whether confidence is overrated. Is confidence something that you would say is important to you as an athlete? Sophie, I'm going to come to you first. Yeah, I think confidence is massively important as an athlete, and particularly in individual sports, I think. Um, you know, in, in team sports, I think you you know you've got other people around you to almost rely on a little bit whereas in an individual sport like like our sports I think uh, confidence is a huge thing you know when you get on sort of riding that that wave of, of good performance um, confidence builds and you know that then helps better performances which adds a little bit more confidence so yeah I think it's it's massively important to be confident when performing and almost carrying that confidence on through performances you know throughout the season and Ali you're an individual sport athlete as well what, what do you make of what Sophie said when I look back at my kind of best period of my career um, I felt really confident in my ability to lift big weights but also that feeling of kind of feeling quite invincible is also something that you know I don't think is overrated when it comes to being a athlete in a single discipline so for me yeah for me over like being confident is uh, really important but I think now looking back it's when how can you be confident in the worst times because also that's also a thing um, and I've actually learned to be confident when things are not going my way and that's that's also an important thing we should talk about too I think okay so that's kind of interesting that you guys are, are talking about how confidence builds uh, in the sense that once you've achieved something you get confident and you take that with you to the next uh, event and it kind of like stacks on top of previous performances um but then Ali you've mentioned about like being confident in the bad times I assume Sophie the way you've discussed that like it builds and builds and builds I assume it's kind of like a wave at some points you know if you get an injury or something else you can come crashing down off that wave 
What do you see by this idea of being confident uh, in setbacks? How is that experienced uh, by you as athletes? I think being confident uh, when you're having setbacks is probably one of one of the hardest things to do in sport. You know, obviously, it's very easy to to lose that confidence maybe if you have a poor performance, and and I think it kind of comes down to self belief as well, and I, I think that's a big part of it. I think you have to, you know, really really believe in your own ability to to ride on that wave of confidence, even when, you know, times aren't great. And like I said, at the start of this season, I um, had a really terrible ankle injury that I wondered whether I'd actually sort of be able to train this year, let, let alone compete. Um, so I think, you know, for me during those times, it was important for me to be, to be confident, confident um, in, in the people that were treating me confident in the fact that people knew what they were doing to get me back to the best. I think, I think confidence doesn't, you know, necessarily, uh, just count towards your own performance. I think it, you have to be be confident around all the things that are going on in your career. You know, the coaching, the, the physio, um, all of those kind of things. You have to be very, very confident that everyone's doing the best thing for you. Ali, what about you? I think for me, um, I remember when I was younger, when I kind of, when there was like a bad performance or things weren't going my way, uh, like before competition, my confidence would take a massive nosedive the confidence that I kind of have now is actually the confidence in the process rather than the outcome itself. So obviously, obviously you want to compete very well, but actually the the outcome for me becomes a distraction. So I have to be confident in on the day-to-day basis. And that accumulates, that accumulation of confidence for me puts me in good stead for competition. Well, hopefully. Ali, you just mentioned kind of having confidence in the process rather than worrying about the outcome. When you've been full of confidence, when you've been, getting that confidence from the process what's that enabled you to actually do as an athlete for me it, it kind of you make yourself accountable on a daily basis so you don't have to rely on other people to make you accountable it's about the kind of the daily wins rather than the, the big win uh, down the line because as i said that that does distract me well that that used to distract me and i used to always think ahead rather than actually think about the risks in my process so i kind of miss things if i have one eye on the outcome if you can hold yourself accountable on a daily basis, then when it comes to the real thing, that's going to be the easy part. So you're confident that you've done everything you can to get onto that stage and you're ready to go. Where when you get onto that stage and, and you think to yourself, actually, I could have done things better, that's when you start actually losing a little, little bit of confidence and you don't want to be in that position because it's too late then. And Sophie, what about you? You know, Ali's talked there about trusting in the process and getting confidence from that, from knowing that you've done everything uh, left no stone unturned in, in your preparation. You know, what, what, what do you think of that? Is that a source of, of confidence for you as well? Yeah, I com- I completely agree. You know, um, you you build that confidence for for competition in training, and for me, it's no different. You know, if, you, if if you've done everything you know you can possibly do, I think you can't be unconfident when you when you get to competition because you have literally done every everything you can do so yeah I think it, it definitely builds over a, over a period of time and you know I've been working on training um the last couple of months of, of focusing on each throw as it comes rather than sort of looking at the the bigger picture which is you know is kind of what we're saying isn't it I've certainly found that really helpful over the last couple of months to to sort of break things down and make sure I'm achieving everything I can in you know in one throw um making sure technique is right and things like that so yeah I, I would definitely agree I think you know, you have to be confident in your process, not necessarily worry about, you know, because a lot of people have opinions on, on what you're doing and, 
and that's kind of how we put ourselves out there as professional athletes I think that's that's always going to happen but yeah you have to have utmost confidence in in, in your process and you know and, and believe that it's going to come through when you get out there into competition Okay, so we've been hearing a lot about the talk of the how the process builds confidence, but then also how you get more confidence the more you progress along with that process. Uh, I think that's interesting because we often talk about goal setting in terms of like process goals and outcome goals, but actually there as athletes talking about process confidence and outcome confidence. And maybe because they're so experienced, what I'm hearing is, that they can no longer judge themselves by their outcomes because their outcomes are so distant and, and few and far between because the competitions and the big event for them are so separate that they really have to be super confident in the process. Pete, I'm curious, you know, have you any thoughts on this in terms of why you think that's important um, and, and what your thoughts and confidence are from, from that first bit of chat? Yeah, it's interesting hearing both of those guys talk about getting confidence from the process rather than the outcome. And as you just mentioned, I think because of the level that they're at, the outcomes are actually few and far between. The competitions are quite spread out. So if you're measuring your success and getting confidence from those outcomes, well, first of all, like you said, they're quite spread out. And second of all, they're by their very nature, they are uncontrollable. You can't control the outcome. You can put as much preparation as you want into a race or an event or, or whatever, but you can't control that outcome. Somebody else might just run faster or lift more or throw further on the day. So if we are getting our confidence from those, what we call uncontrollable sources, then our confidence is going to fluctuate and it's going to go up when the outcome goes our way and it's going to go down when the outcome doesn't go our way. And what these guys are talking about is getting their confidence from the process, the things that they can control, the day-to-day -day effort that they put into training, the day-to-day -day improvements and increments in their lifts and throws that they can see in their, in their training. And if you can get your confidence from those things that you can control, then it's much more likely to be stable. So the stability and confidence depends on focusing entirely on what you can control. I hate to say this, but it sounds a lot like focus on the controllables or control the controllables, which I think all sex come to hate. Because like I, I heard somebody once explain this as, why does nobody ever say to the bricklayer, just brick the bricks? Is there anything that you're taking away from this is like how any of our athletes or coaches might take a high from this? Uh, just to pick up on something that you said there, I think I, I completely agree that controller controllables is one of the most shit awful phrases and I absolutely hate it. But I do think there is something to it in that if we are, in, in terms of confidence anyway, in terms of what we're talking about, we do need to get confidence from those things that we can control. I, I absolutely stand by that. But that doesn't mean that we can't think about outcomes. That doesn't mean we should never think about what's important and why we're doing something. That doesn't mean we should completely neglect the idea that we've got a um, a competition coming out. And in your analogy, that doesn't mean that we should stop. We, we shouldn't have in mind that we're actually building a house here and not just piling bricks. But it does mean that if we're trying to build that confidence, we can't get that from things that are completely out of our control. That just doesn't make sense to me. So, Pete, this reminds me of a quote that you uh, first told to me on Danny Lennon's podcast where myself and yourself went on and talked about coaching burnout. And the quote was about how if you've got a sniper shooting at you, 
Um, it doesn't mean that you can focus on the controllables and do your mindfulness and self-regulation, and that's going to reduce the stress because the external climate is so stressful that that's not going to have much of an effect because the reality is there's something very dangerous that you can't control in that environment. Mm -hmm. You know, do you think there's anything here to think about in terms of confidence and the environment? I think there is, yeah. I think if you bring it back to, you know, we mentioned earlier about Veeley's model of sport confidence and Veeley suggested that we can actually get confidence from multiple different sources. Um, We can get it from our achievements. So showing that we are improving or showing that we are, you know, well, doing better than other people. So we can get confidence from those things. Um, We can get confidence from a feeling of just being prepared. So making sure that we've done all of that prep work. But we can also get confidence from the environment, from things that we can't necessarily control. So we can get confidence from the level of social support that we have. Coach's leadership was another one of those sources of support. So we get confidence from what our coach is, is doing and saying. We can get confidence from how comfortable we feel in an environment. So maybe we get confidence from, I don't know, playing at home as opposed to playing away. We feel confident in this environment because we feel comfortable here. So it's not to say that we can't get confidence from some of those external uncontrollable sources, but if we're getting our confidence only from things that we can't control, then we run the risk of our confidence just fluctuating and it being something that that we have no impact over. but I like to think of confidence as something that we can work on, that we can build on our own without relying completely on on the external environment. So what I'm hearing there is it's it's important for a coach to realize they do impact an athlete's confidence, but also you need to help the athlete build a robust confidence that comes from themselves as opposed to just relying on the coach's input or the environment. Something you kind of twigged in me there uh was my experience of doing an improv comedy workshop uh with a group called uh yeah believe it or not i actually can be funny um <laughs> on purpose but uh <laughs> on purpose yeah um i now have no confidence pete thanks um but it was <laughs> it was a group called miss imp in nottingham and they're, they run improv comedy workshops. And I went there as a psych to learn how to speak on stage or in front of people better. Um, one of the tips that they gave me was like, don't walk around the stage or pace. Just walk out and plant your two feet down as hard as you can with a bit of like purpose and stand in that spot. And because you then stand confidently, people then uh, will perceive you as being more confident on stage. And one thing that's not funny on stage is lack of confidence. So if you're shy and not enjoying it, then other people aren't going to find that enjoyable. So going out there and being very confident and nearly like faking it until you make it. But imagine like, I'm just thinking of like para athletes, you know, they obviously can't go and put their two feet down on stage, depending on their impairment. It may be just going out and owning that space. Um, So I suppose there's something there in terms of how you attack the situation or present yourself in the face of competition or adversity that allows you to build confidence. A small behavioral cue like that might just be something that tips your performance over the edge. I know with mine, it definitely helps with public speaking. Uh, Any thoughts on that, Pete? 
No, not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, t- to me, that's just, again, you getting confidence from a behavior that you are in control of. Yeah. And that you can do whatever the situation is, whatever the external circumstances are, whatever the crowd looks like, however many people, whether there's 10 people there or a thousand people there, you're getting confidence from a completely controllable behavior. You can walk out there, plant your two feet, and that makes you feel a little bit more confident. And again, this is going back to the idea of, well, what is confidence to different people? Because somebody else could do that and it wouldn't have any impact. But because it's meaningful to you, well, that, that makes it important. Um, just a reminder that on today's episode, we're reflecting on an interview with Ali Jawad, a Paralympic silver medalist in powerlifting, and Sophie McKenna, Great Britain's number one shot putter. We heard Sophie and Ali mention some of the sources of confidence that Hugh and I have just been talking about already. So let's see what else they have to say. You know, I find it interesting that you've both talked about uh, the process for competition, but you've also both mentioned about other people. You as athletes are, are being judged by maybe the media, by public, uh, and you know even just your peers within the sport as well. Is that judgment something that can be used to build confidence? You know, whenever whenever people are saying, "Look at you, you're doing really well," does that help your confidence? And then I suppose there are downsides of of relying on that judgment because if they also turn around and say you're doing crap, does that also deflate your confidence? How do you deal with that change in in the public media and how does that affect your your confidence, Sophie? Yeah, no, for me, it's it's something I've really had to to work on quite, quite closely because I... Um, I'm still working on it at the moment. You know, I was I was quite affected by people's opinions and people's, um, you, you know, perceptions of me and my performance. But you know, I'm kind of beginning to learn that actually they don't necessarily know the bigger picture or understand. But I, I do agree in a sense that that often you know it makes you feel good if, if if people notice your performances and you know things like that. It, it does build that confidence. I mean, you know, for me personally, I've had to to really try and learn to you know, okay, there's going to be opinions, but I've got to kind of have a bit of a water off ducks back attitude about it because it, it did affect my performance in the past. So I was worried about what other people thought rather than concentrating on, on myself. So like opinions are, are, are not really facts, I suppose. Ali, I'm sure you've come across the same issues in terms of people publicly maybe criticizing, disagreeing with your performances, et cetera, or just the expe- expectations of crowds. Um, how have you found that affect your confidence and how have you dealt with it? I think um, probably before I had Crohn's, it affected me more because I was kind of relying on other people maybe to kind of make me confident because I didn't know what made me confident at all because I was so young. Like I kind of aimed to lift a big weight and like try to get a medal. That was like, that's how I based my confidence on, like the outcome, which is terrible. And if I didn't actually <laughs> achieve what I wanted, I'd be absolutely fuming. So I was actually relying on other people. But then... When I got diagnosed with Crohn's and then when people started saying to me, actually, you probably have to retire and, you know, you can't do it with Crohn's and you'll be at a massive disadvantage. That's when I had to actually grow up a little bit and go and actually ask myself the question of, do I think I'm capable of ignoring the people that really don't know my situation and actually try and attempt this myself? And hopefully I can prove them wrong. It made me want to implement things to make me more confident, I guess. Yeah, so, I mean, you've won a, a Paralympic silver medal and you've been a world champion with Crohn's. That's obviously n- no mean feat. 
and I suppose people maybe wouldn't believe that that could occur. I think what I'm hearing here, Pete, uh, I don't know if you hear it, but is there's a degree of actually not placing value in other people's opinions. It might be nice, but actually opinions are a bit like arseholes. Everyone's got one and most of them stink. <laughs> is that your thoughts or would you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's 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 about where you get confidence from in terms of controllable versus uncontrollable sources. So if you get your confidence from something that you can't control, like other people's opinions, like when their opinions are great, your confidence is going to be sky high. When their opinions are negative, your confidence is going to be rock bottom. So, you know, what I'm hearing is is two athletes who are, well, who've realized that, okay, well, I need to get my confidence from those stable sources. So what other people think of me doesn't really matter because that's just going to change like the weather. Sophie, in particular, you mentioned earlier on um, other people in terms of, uh, you know, where you do get confidence from. Can you, can you, can you give me some examples of perhaps how other people maybe in your team do give you confidence? You know, it's, it's the people that I work with closely, such as, you know, physios, my coach, um, my assistant coach, people like that. You, you know, you, you gain confidence from them, their belief in me. And obviously, they are the people that I rely on heavily when, when training and, and competing to, you know, if things aren't going well, they they pick me up. They're the people that are there every single day. They they often know how I work. And yeah, the the, the confidence comes from, their belief almost i think is is um the best way to put it for me and uh, ali what about you are there, are there people in your team that you that you do get confidence from that kind of do help you to maintain that confidence or is it all just down to you and your your processes no i think um about 10 years ago i'd say the team was a bit say toxic i didn't i really i didn't really get along with people at the time maybe because i was a little bit of a rebel anyway but maybe that's just me but uh <laughs> Like, I think the last kind of like six years, I've been lucky enough to have a team that have not only my confident in, but have actually taught me how to also be confident. And they've kind of given me perspective in times that are actually quite tough. Because sometimes, because you're in the moment, you can't really see it yourself. You need some people to point it out. And I'm lucky that, you know, they've helped me gain perspective on a lot of things. Um, I've been lucky that I've had confidence from that. Right now, I think I've probably got the best team that I've that I've had in a long time. Ali, th- that's interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned that you, you felt as if nearly the team was a bit toxic, but you also then described yourself as a bit of a rebel. And then how, you know, your team's changed and your perspective has changed. From my point of view, it's, it's like there must be a degree of, and I, I want to challenge Sophie with this as well, is like there must be a degree of these people who are your team who believe in you uh, and that's great. They also at times must turn around and say, here, look, see today, that was horrible. And you need to, you know, pull up your socks or alley for you, pump up your wheels. How do you deal with the the challenge of them believing in you, in you but also being able to give you critical feedback? Um, I think that's quite a hard one. Like for me, you have to you know, it's, it's a bit like anything, a, a relationship or, or family members. I think, you know, you have to be able to take the criticism from them. It's, it's almost like a bit of a, you know, sibling relationship. You you have arguments, you have disagreements, um, you get a bit of stick, but actually you've got to be able to move past that because you understand that often is for the greater good. You know, it's not, they're not doing it to 
to put you down or to dent your confidence. They're doing it to, to make you a better all-round athlete and a, and a better performer. So it's almost been a bit of a learning process as I've got older through athletics. He's kind of, you know, accept criticism and, and use it for the better. If if my technique's criticised, okay, well, what what can we do to, to make it better, make it more efficient and, and therefore throw a little bit further, which obviously is the, you know, is, is the aim of the game. So, yeah, yeah, for me, it's, it's just been a bit of a, a learning process to, you know, realise that these people are doing it for the for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. I think I agree. I think we are definitely a second family when it comes to that team. I'm someone that's very harsh on myself, um, like very harsh. Like I'm so critical. And then I expect people to be more critical for me to get better. So actually I don't mind the criticism. I kind of, um, I kind of like encourage it because I think that's the only way I'm going to be able to achieve what I want next year. Because if we start kind of sugarcoating things, uh, I'm just not going to achieve what I want next year. And so for me, like that's part of the process to be as critical as possible and to, you know, hopefully that fuels some self-improvement on, along the way. I love that you um, both talked about family and talked about your support team in terms of family and the feedback that you get from them. I guess in terms of where you get confidence from, there's an element of what's credible. Because if I think about my family, my gran, for example, telling me that I'm fantastic at basketball, it's nice, (laughs) but it doesn't really mean anything. Whereas those who are close to you and those who you trust, people who are credible in that sport, or credible in that environment telling you those things is perhaps more confidence giving people close to you like your family are always going to go oh that was a good friend you think actually that was absolutely rubbish so you know you you don't kind of pay much attention to to that you 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 know t- take on board from the people in the know not not the people who are going to say it's good no matter what i'm just kind of trying to rationalize that idea that other people's opinions we shouldn't necessarily base confidence on because they're going to fluctuate and change but actually if those opinions are really credible and we trust that person to be honest with us and give us you know honest feedback from a position of knowledge then actually maybe that is something that is a a useful source of confidence Hugh what do you what do you think it is a case of you can't you can't control other people you can't control the past or the future you can't control your life situations. Um, and, and if it's one of those things that you can't control, then you have to let it go. I mean, it doesn't mean it's not nice and it's not enjoyable, you know, um, at times when you get the right bit of feedback from the right person in the right place that you trust, and it gives you that external boost of confidence. You know, this idea of family, I think of families as a bit dysfunctional because one of the things that happens in families uh, from a psych perspective is that your mother gives you crap because she essentially cares about you. Um, but it doesn't mean she knows how to give you hard feedback. Uh, so they do it in a bad way. So it's kind of like because they care, they complain because they want a good outcome from you. It's not that they want something bad to happen. And I think sometimes in coaches, if there's any coaches listening to that, it's very easy to come across like a bad mother in the sense that, you know, you're being critical of an athlete, but you're actually showing you care, but the way in which you're delivering the message is actually pushing the athlete away from you. Um, and that's kind of interesting because families, I think, uh, only are successful because they spread out and, and the, the, the offspring, you know, leave the house effectively and go off and do their own things. That's part of the natural cycle of families, as I understand it from a psychology perspective anyway. 
So that's a bit of a ramble, and uh, we might need to edit that out. But <laughs> what are your thoughts there, Pete? How do you know? You mentioned coaches there. How do coaches do that? Because every coach would say that they want their athletes to go into competition fully confident. And you know, I guess my question to to you, but to to Ali and Sophie as well is, you know, how do coaches do that? What role can coaches actually play? It, you know, how how do they do it well? My coach is really old school, so compliments come very rarely. For me, he certainly, uh, you know, gives me confidence when he, he believes I can go on in my career to break the British record, which he, he coached the uh, current British record holder um, to that distance. And, and he says to me, you know, I, I believe you can break the, the British record in your career. And that, that gives me confidence that there's there's more in the tank for me. Um, you know, I haven't, haven't sort of reached my highest height yet in, in my career. And it, it, certainly, it certainly gives me a boost. And... Um, you know, it's kind of things like that. He's he really truly believes that, um, you know, I can I can be very successful in my career, and and he says he wouldn't coach me if he didn't believe that. So I guess that's the uh, the utmost compliment, really. So I mean, that sounds really like as if you're getting have some hard reality with, uh, you know, a sharp dose of of more hard reality, and very rarely you get some. Uh, nice honesty, but you place such value in that honesty that it's real beneficial. Um, and it also is like, as well, it's a statement about your capacity and future potential. It's not even, uh, you've done good today, be proud. It's, uh, I believe in you in the long term here and I'm backing you. That that's that must be, I imagine, a very powerful thing, Sophie. Yeah, definitely. It's, that That is really powerful for me. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, if I have a absolutely cracking training session he's you know he's the first to say you know that was a good session but it won't be like oh that was amazing he'll say that was good you know there is a lot of harsh reality in his coaching but for me that kind of works because you know it just makes me me strive to be to be better and better and um when I do get those confidence uh little confidence boosters from him um you know it is really effective my coach was well, who was like ex-military, so I used to get it in the neck all the time. <laughs> I didn't know every training session I was actually scared. So I knew like I was never going to get a compliment at all. I guess that that experience from like two years made me realize that actually when I did get a compliment, I was actually quite uncomfortable because I thought they were joking. Now, I guess the way we measure confidence isn't about giving me like a team talk when I was, you know, like when I was 10 years ago. It's actually having objective measures to increase my confidence instead. So they show me rather than uh, say things where in the past it was all about team talks the night before competition and stuff, which is now I would never do, never do that at all. I don't want to be like that intense 24 hours before comp. Pete, I want to clarify something here. I mean, we've actually talked about confidence from people. We've mm -hmm. talked about confidence in terms of the process. And then Ali's just brought up confidence about the facts um, and the numbers, I mean, I, I've always viewed things from a psychology perspective is like, I want to deal with people's facts and numbers. I don't want to tell them they're, they're wonderful human beings. Um, what are your thoughts on this so far? No, absolutely. I know we've, we've, we've talked about this already, really, that opinions are lovely and, you know, credible opinions are, are lovely. But, you know, really, I think Ali and Sophie opened with this when they both talked about the process and it's seeing those numbers, seeing those facts. So seeing the numbers going up, looking at your training logs and seeing your improvements written down on paper. You know, those are the facts. You know, as psychologists, we talk about, you know, looking at your achievements. That's where you get confidence from. Not what people think about those achievements. 
And those achievements don't necessarily need to be outcomes. They can be, okay, well, this training block, what have I done that's made me better than I was before? Like the, the actual facts. And I think that that's, it's one of those stable sources of com- uh, confidence. It doesn't rely on other people's opinions. It's right there in black and white. And that's what gives you that real boost going into going into competition or even just kind of seeing you through those hard training blocks, looking and seeing how the numbers have gone up. So it's interesting that we've talked about what coaches can do to help. I'm really interested because, you know, I'm hoping that there's going to be coaches listening to this. What do you not want from coaches? What is it that puts a dent in your confidence? What do you, what do you not want to hear from them in training or in competition? Um, Ali, what, what do you think? My opinion's probably changed throughout the years. I'd say when I was a bit younger, I needed a lot of reassurance that I was good, even though I wasn't. <laughs> but I needed a lot of reassurance, like, yeah, you're going to do great, like, it's a great session, even though it wasn't a great session. They were kind of sugarcoating the situation at the time. A lot of the competitions that I did, there was always like a team talk the night before, where me and my coach would sit down and they would just like talk to me about the competition and, you know, what I should be doing and stuff like that. And that got quite intense because actually you felt even more nervous than like before. Where now, I don't really like that. So it's all about objective numbers, facts. And that's what I take confidence in rather than a massive team talk on the night before. You know, I played basketball and I, you know, I knew coaches who would come into the changing room and deliver this kind of really hell-raising speech to try and get people up. And sometimes that would work for some people, but actually other people were like, dude, I just want to chill right now. I, this, this isn't helping me. Um, so yeah, really interesting that you say that. Sophie, what do you think? What do you not want from coaches? I think, especially in competition for me, it's, it's more about technical points. So obviously I, I have six throws in a competition. So for me, it's like, okay, you've watched the first one. I don't want a hundred cues. I just want one thing that I could do better to work on. I think don't overload me in a competition. I I always describe it as a way like my my brain almost needs space to be able to do what it does best, and that's get me in a position where I can you know compete. So yeah, for me, coaching in in competition is definitely one technical cue, and that's it. I I don't want a whole load of sort of like babble and 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 stuff like that so yeah I think I've learned that over the years I think I used to almost want to be overcoached when I was younger you know mm. like right give me eight things that I did did wrong in that throw um but obviously when you're in competition that's not helpful at all because you definitely you know I struggle to process one thing let alone eight so um yeah no definitely I've learned as I've, I've, I've got older um and more experienced that one coaching cue per throw is great if if it didn't improve that time right, let's let's look at other ways we can do it. And I think that's definitely what I want to hear from a coach. Hugh, have you got any thoughts on that? I'm hearing from both of these guys that you know what they want from their coaches has changed as they've got more experience. And I would imagine that what coaches do changes with experience as well. What are your what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think I mean it's a great question, Pete. The thing for me is that there's communication between the athlete and the coach. You know, you can only grow and change your perception as an athlete if you're going to have that open communication with the coach. And I suppose a coach would assume that uh, this is what the athlete needs or wants, but the athlete would assume that the coach uh, knows what they need and want. So it's actually, there's a responsibility in two people there to have those conversations. And I think because there's been responsibility taken in these examples, 
that's what allows it to grow and change into something productive. You know, that's a great question about coaches, but uh, Sophie and Ali, you are both funded athletes. If one of our listeners was, you know, in training to be a sports psych, what advice would you give them about interacting with you and them trying to build your confidence and how would they do a good job of it and how would they do a bad job of it? Yeah, so so for me, um, working with a sports psychologist, I've been doing it for sort of for the last six, seven months. So, you know, relatively new in that kind of world. But I think for me, it's it's about, um, you know, listening mainly and listening to, to, to what I need as an athlete in my sport, because obviously every sport is is very different even though confidence across sports obviously you know doesn't vary much but I think um for me the the most uh important thing that I've, I've taken from it is having tools to to build confidence and tools to build that um sort of you know good mood around competition I think this is how you can do something these are the steps you can do to to, to get that so that's kind of you know that's how I work but obviously you know everyone works very differently but um, for me, it's, it's having those those stages and those tools to be able to get what I need of the sports psychology. It's interesting, like good listening skills are, are critical, I would say, in sports psych. And it's, it, that's the first thing you went to, along with these practical tools. So everyone's different, as you pointed out, Sophie. So we'll, we'll ask Ali, you know, for you, what's, what advice would you have to somebody who's listened to this as a sports psychologist? So I guess... Um... My experience of sports psychology has been quite mixed until probably the last four years. I think in the past, it was too sciencey. It's all about the literature. They were like using me as like a guinea pig. I wasn't really treated like a human. It was all about the subject. And these are the tools that could help. But actually, it wasn't related to me at all. So it never worked for me. Where now, I think I've got a psychologist that genuinely does look at me as a human first and then explains the tools in a way that actually I can definitely, that relates to how I need to approach things, which also makes me think outside the box. So my, my, um, yeah, my, my experience has been quite mixed. So that kind of treating you as a human first is critically important before you can uh, take on board the, the role of the psychologist and what they're actually there to do. Pete, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that it's really interesting and it takes us right back to our very first episode that we did with Dr. Jonathan Fader, where he talked a lot about building relationships as a sports psychologist. You know, the first episode was what is sports psychology? And we talked a lot about building relationships with coaches and with athletes and just how important that is. So yeah, it's nice that you've mentioned that as something that's really important for you as an athlete as well, you know, from your perspective. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. And if you have anything to say about confidence, please do tweet us at EPM Podcast. Maybe let us know where you get your confidence from or send us your questions and we'll see what we can do to answer them. I suppose I have a question I really want to ask the guys today. And um, that is, can you fake it? Um, if you're having a, a day where you feel bad, you're not hopeful about your performance in the arena, in the competition. Can you fake it? And if so, how do you fake it? And I'll uh, throw that out <laughs> instead of having an awkward silence. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll throw that out to Sophie first. I personally probably would find it very hard to. Um, I'm not 
very good. I'm not a very good actress. Um, I think you could probably portray confidence to your competitors, you know, in, in like a bit of a, yeah, I'm here, I'm confident, you're not going to beat me kind of way. But inside, you, you don't necessarily feel confidence. I certainly don't think I can necessarily fake confidence inwardly. Outwardly, I can I can look it, but whether I feel it is a completely different story. You know, I have I have actually had the pleasure of uh, seeing you compete, believe it or not, Sophie, uh, at Loughborough. And I think that whole competition that I watched, you, you gave off this complete impression of, you know, gritty determination. Is that is that the same as this confidence process? Is is it a case that that day you were confident, or, or maybe were you were you just outwardly confident that day? No, that that day I definitely was confident, and I was out for revenge. So there was uh, there was nothing that was was going to stop me that day. That determination um, is for me slightly different to the confidence. You know, I think anyone can be determined, but I think being confident is slightly different. I think for me personally, you know, I have to have to have that confidence on top of the determination to, to, to get results. You know, I mean, that that day in particular, I, I was so mad, I knew I was going to throw a long way, um, which then obviously helped my performance, and, and I did qualify and, and throw well on that day. I had to be confident before I was going into the competition to, to really believe that I could do it. Um, but like I say, I think outwardly you can always fake that confidence, but, but internally it's either there or it isn't. That that's an interesting thing. It's like determinations coming up and arriving and putting down a performance, regardless of how you feel. And that's maybe is there a, is there a process that you go through to become determined? Um, that's quite a hard one as well. I think determination for me. I've I've never been. I've never had a lack of determination. You know, when I when I first started um, competing as an athlete, athlete when I was oh, twelve years old. Now, um, I always had that determination to be the best to want to win my granddad played uh professional football and he always used to say to me you know whatever sport you choose you'll be able to to go far in it because you've got that determination and I think you know he did many years coaching as well and he said you could see from the outset whether people were really determined and had that grit to to go on and and perform so I think yeah I think determination is something you either either have or or don't I'm not sure you can necessarily turn it on Okay. Okay. That's, it's interesting. Um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to take the conversation down a, a determination route here, Pete, but I'm just finding this quite interesting. And Ali, I want to ask the same question to you, um, about first of all, can you fake confidence in, in a bad, in a bad situation? Can you fake this confidence in the competition arena? And if so, how would you do it? So I think my opinion's probably changed over the years. I think, uh, before, um, I don't think you could fake it. You could actually see it on my face that I couldn't fake it and my body language. I, I met somebody 10 years ago that completely changed my mindset on it. He always said to me, it doesn't matter how you feel, we can fake it, you know, portray it, feel it. Like, yeah, you feel bad, but on the day, you're never, your conditions are never going to be perfect on the day ever. It's rare that a competition environment is perfect. You have to perform when you actually don't feel like performing. And obviously, being a Crohn sufferer, I have to fake it on a daily basis because actually... I'm always sick. Yeah, I think having Crohn's definitely taught me to, you know, being able to fake it when I actually don't feel like, you know, getting out of bed. <laughs> uh, what? How do you experience that Crohn's? Well, can you give me an example of like a quick, you know, one second guide for somebody to understand how, how much you suffer with that or how that affects you? Yeah, so basically um, 
your immune system protects you. My one, my one attacks me, meaning that I get a lot of symptoms that are not very good for top level sport. But so when it comes to recovery, absorbing nutrients from food, fatigue, extreme pain, I have it all. Um, and sometimes the symptoms are severe. Sometimes then, you know, they're minimal and sometimes they're in the middle. So it's a spectrum on a daily basis. Okay. So it's, it's something you have to deal with all the time. Yeah. Pete, what are you making of that? Faking confidence and determination. This kind of brings me back to the original question of this episode, which was, is confidence overrated? And my potentially controversial opinion on this is, given what we've talked about, that you know, I, I think it is. I think confidence is, is completely overrated. And I wonder whether we spend too much time waiting to be confident before we act. You know, I, I can't compete today because I don't feel confident. I'm not going to do very well today because I don't feel confident enough. And I wonder if what we're talking about isn't necessarily faking it. I wonder if we're using the wrong term there. I wonder if what we're talking about is being courageous instead of confident. I don't feel confident enough today. Can I be brave anyway? You know, I always tell my daughter that it's okay to be scared. You know, it's okay to be nervous, but the really cool thing is that we can be scared and brave at the same time. So, you know, my perspective on this is, do we really need confidence? Is it overrated? Can we just be courageous instead? And I, I feel like maybe that's what we're talking about here in terms of faking it, you know, during those times where maybe we're not feeling that confident. I, I agree, actually, yeah. Because I think if you're relying on uh, being confident all the time, which is not possible, then you're going to get yourself in a situation where when that big day comes and you're not confident, you're going to be able to perform. If you are like courageous enough to put things in place beforehand, you might get there in a, in a way that, you know, yes, you're not confident, but actually you're brave enough to you know, really go for it. And you might actually surprise yourself and sometimes people have done. Yeah, I, I actually um, would tend to agree with that. I think sometimes you, you have to put yourself out there and, you know, having that courage to do that and actually, um, you know, as as has been said i think if if you do that you can sometimes surprise yourself with results because when you're least expecting it sometimes you can be a little bit more relaxed and actually perform a bit better there's there's two thoughts here stri strike me pete um and one of them is how much is your daughter paying you for sports psychology support um <laughs> and the second thought actually is like being courageous isn't something that's nearly in or really in the sports psychology literature, but actually it's more philosophical in the sense that, you know, like regardless of what comes through the door at me, it's how I approach it that day or regardless of what's in my competition arena, it's how I choose to approach it. Um, I suppose a great saying that I've heard is the obstacle is the way, which stems from, uh, you know, philosophy or, 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 or Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, uh, which has been co-opted a bit by R. I'm reading that. RIBT. You're reading that, Ali? Right Tell now. me more about why you're reading that. Uh, because um, that the saying, the obstacles the way, has literally, like, I feel like it actually reflects my whole life. Um, and, like, what I'm, going, what I'm going through currently. And also, it's literally plastered all over the gym. So I see it every day. <laughs> <laughs> oh right okay is there any particular reason for having that philosophy in the gym or what's that all about i think for me it's um obviously our sport is really hard to, to meddle at, at the games it's one of the hardest sports i think in my opinion and i guess as a team there's going to be loads of obstacles along that process where you know it's going to be uncomfortable you're not going to like what you're going to go through to get to where you want to be and i think as i kind of 
trying to find a way through these obstacles, but doing it in a way that actually empowers you and educates you and kind of makes you grow as a person along the process, because I think that's really important too. Yeah, I think um, I, th- I think it's a big thing, really. I think, you know, overcoming overcoming obstacles is, is massive in sport. I was actually uh, just saying to, to the other day to one of my fellow athletes that that's kind of the fun part about sport and, and the, the bad times actually make it sort of a lot more exciting when you can, can produce a good performance and, and often you can have two or three bad years or, you know, what are perceived as bad years before you have a, a successful year. And, uh, you know, it makes it all the more worth it. And I think obstacles are what make sport. And, and I quite agree. I think unless there's a bit of a challenge or an obstacle, it's not really worth getting out of bed for. And uh, going back to that competition last year where you saw me compete, uh, that's the prime example of there being a, an obstacle in the way for me and, and, you know, being really determined to, to overcome it and actually producing what was at the time a lifetime best performance. So I suppose, Pete, um, I'm hearing here that, you know, these guys do what they do because of obstacles. And I think for me, that is what makes sport great. You know, if you were to show me a picture of this really confident person who actually is perfectly genetically gifted to perform and, and be the best ever, and they have all the resources and support, and like there's no way they couldn't be in the top 5% in the world, and there's no way that they couldn't be a medalist uh, in their their chosen sport. You know, I, I wouldn't find that quite exciting. I think for me, it's the, you know, these guys are tough and refuse to lie down. Um, and that that's what makes sport exciting for me. Um, that's the inspirational bit anyway. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's you know, the excitement is in the story, isn't it? It's the, the, the stories that we all love about sport are the ones where athletes are overcoming obstacles and overcoming difficulties and, and the excitement and the, the love of sports in the story. So what these guys are both saying is really resonating here. You know, it's, it's, it's if there weren't obstacles in the way, it would be easy. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think having those obstacles and, and kind of pushing through them and striving to, to be the best is what sport's all about. So it's, it's great to hear that coming from these two, you know, really successful athletes. So I want you guys to both think about a time when you've been really super confident and a time when you've been less confident. And I just wonder what some of the differences are there in terms of maybe the way you're thinking, how you're acting, uh, what you're feeling. Um, Sophie, let me throw that question to you first. Differences between being confident and not confident in terms of your own sort of thoughts, behaviors, feelings. Um, So I think I've got two really clear examples of this. The time where I felt the most confidence was at the World Championships in Doha last year. Um, I'd had a really great year a good run of form training in the two weeks leading up to at the at the training camp had just been um, pb after pb and i felt you know really really great so going into the competition i actually didn't have a single doubt in my mind that i was going to be able to to perform and i'd kind of put a p- bit of pressure on myself i'd said in the qualification round of the world championships i i wanted to throw a personal best and qualify for the olympics and i mean that's no mean feat to go out and and do that at a world championship yeah. so I put a bit of pressure on myself, but I felt really good and, and really confident and, you know, believed completely that I could I could do that. Um, and I think probably for me, it was the factors kind of leading up to that point. You know, I'd had a really great year, training had gone really well, I was really fit and uh, there wasn't really, you know, anything that had, you know, gone wrong for the whole year. So that's why I was so confident. And then 
I think on the flip side of that, um, at the start of the year, I'd perforated my eardrum. Um, I was all off balance, not not in a good place at all. And I'd struggled with a lot of um, feeling a lot of pressure because obviously I'd performed so well in, in Doha at the World Championships. I, I then felt a lot of pressure coming into the, the next uh, indoor season um, and kind of piled it on myself. I, I thought everyone was expecting me to come out and, and throw huge distances and, and obviously you know, after winter training, you're a little bit rusty and that kind of doesn't mm. happen. So yeah, I was, I was definitely less confident, um, sort of at the start of this year and, and I was injured, um, and, and everything else. So I think that really affected my performance and, and yeah, I, I sort of went into competitions doubting, doubting myself, which was the complete opposite of how I'd felt sort of, you know, four months prior to that. So yeah, they're my, you know, two very, very clear examples. I think for me, um, we'll start with like me being the most com- like confident, and that's between probably between 2014, 2016, where I'd say like that was my peak of my career, sort of thing. I think for me, it was just like I felt pretty much invincible. So I was waking up full of energy. <laughs> I felt like super. I felt like the legless Superman. It was great. <laughs> um, going into training sessions, like happy, laughing a lot, taking the Mickey out of everybody, just like being just like generally jolly, kind of enjoying it. Where obviously on the flip side, probably my kind of the least confidence when I I think when I first got diagnosed with Crohn's, knowing that actually I've got a big fight on my hands here, sort of thing to to actually maintain yeah. my career, and that's when a period of like no, it was it self doubt because actually it was trying everything I possibly could, but it wasn't working. So it wasn't like I was doubting my ability; like my ability was still there to try and get through the try and get through the hurdles, but nothing was working for me. In fact, I was getting yeah. worse. So I generally thought Crohn's was always gonna always be one step ahead uh, and it took me about five years to get to get this like a little step ahead so yeah for me that was probably my my uh, my worst yeah. time so for you it's that you, you know you talked about your whole demeanor going into training feeling invincible versus feeling like you know almost there's, there's no way past this your whole attitude towards everything yeah. was completely different um in those two different different times really interesting stuff thank you very much for coming on to the 80 percent metal podcast this has been an illuminating uh, expose into how athletes view psychology um so sophie you know we wish you the very best with tokyo 2021 and uh your next uh, competition uh well best of luck with that and thank you for coming on no problem thanks for having me and ali again uh you obviously as well are gearing up for tokyo 2021 um as we come out of uh hopefully lockdown at some point all the best to you and your future competitions. Thank you. And uh, Ali, I believe you're also involved in Global Athlete as well. Is that something you want to give a shout out to uh, also? Yeah, so Global Athlete is uh, an organization run by athletes for athletes. Um, so we're kind of trying to raise the voice of uh, athletes all around the world when it comes to their concerns within their sport um, to give them a real voice. So yeah, please follow Global Athlete as well on social media. Okay, cool. Thank you very much, guys, and uh, best of luck. So what we'll do is we'll put uh, links to your social media in the description for this episode, but just want to say thank you both very much for coming on. I think it's been a fantastic episode, and I'm sure our listeners will get a lot from it. So thank you guys very much. Thank you. No worries. Well, what a great interview and some great insights from our two athletes, Ali Jawad and Sophie McKenna. 
And at the end there, both athletes talked a lot about how their confidence or their lack of confidence impacted on their thinking and on the way that they felt as well. And if we go right back to the start, that fits in with what we know about VLE sport confidence model, which we've talked about a couple of times. And that's the idea that confidence isn't necessarily directly related to performance. And as with anything else, the relationship is complex and confidence rather than directly impacting on performance is thought to impact on the way that we think, the way that we act and the way that we feel. And that's what then has an impact on, on the way that we perform. I wonder, just thinking about everything that we've talked about today, is there a danger that people who just don't see themselves as confident people might just give up on the idea of being able to achieve something or, you know, confidence isn't for them. I'm just not a confident person. So I'm just going to stay in my, in my space and in my shell. You think there's a danger of that? Yeah. I mean, I really like what you said earlier, Pete, about how, you know, if you're not confident, that's really cool because then that allows you to be brave because then you have to go and push yourself into this uncomfortable zone. And I think, you know, that's part of the process, you know, as you push yourself into this zone of uncomfortability, you end up becoming more comfortable in that, not to use the trite cliche of get comfortable being <laughs> uncomfortable, because I don't think that's possible, uh, the way that statement's presented, because then you'd never be comfortable. But the point is that the effort put in to expand your horizons creates the capacity in which you can then grow into that new space. Pete, I'm interested from your experience as an applied site, what, what would you do if you were going to sit down with me as an athlete? What would be your sort of plan of action if you were going to try and increase my confidence? Or what questions would you ask to do that? Well, I guess it comes back to some of the things that we've already mentioned. So, I mean, one of the first questions I would ask you is, well, what does confidence mean to you? So what is it that you are lacking confidence in and what is it that you want to be more confident at? would be my first question. So I can kind of get an understanding from you as an athlete as to, to what we're actually talking about here. Um, the second thing I would probably want to know is where do you get your confidence from now? Like what is your confidence based on? Is it based on those perhaps fragile sources or is it based on things that, you know, again, not to go back to controlling controllables, but is it based on things that you control? control? So just doing that bit of fact-finding and understanding, you know, where you're coming from as an athlete is where I would perhaps start. Okay, so actually understanding maybe when I've been confident and what, what that confidence was derived from in the past, like a past good performance or a past good experience as an athlete or even a past good block of training of process. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I'd want to know what that was like. So, and I think we asked Ali and Sophie this in the interview, you know, tell me about a time when you've been really supremely confident and what was that like? How were you thinking and feeling and behaving when you felt confident and maybe compare and contrast that with a time when you didn't feel confident, just so we're starting to see maybe what some of the differences are in the way that you are presenting yourself the way that you're thinking and the way that you're feeling so again just understanding those differences between okay well what's it like when you are confident and what's it like when you're not give me some examples you know explain that to me a little bit but but also you know like if i'm being honest about it i still think that confidence is overrated so my whole approach to you know working with an athlete in these circumstances would be well okay well we can be confident or we could not be confident but can we accept how we're feeling today. I don't need to spend my time worrying about, okay, well, I need to build confidence. I need to get it from here. I need to get it from there, et cetera, et cetera. 
can we just be, like I said before, can we just be brave instead? Can we accept that I'm just not feeling particularly great today about what's coming up? And can I go and act anyway? Can I go and do it anyway? Um, so if I'm being brutally honest about it, I, I genuinely think that confidence is overrated and that we just need to be courageous. Ooh, I, I like that. I really do. I I kind of think slightly differently and, and an approach that I found beneficial with athletes comes from motivational interviewing, which is uh, creating affirmations for them. And affirmations aren't just like nice things you say. It's whenever you do a reflection back of something they've said that highlights a skill, a value or behavior that they hold. So for example, Pete, you know, how many free throws could you get out of 10? I would say 10. Oh, wow. No, I assume there was a point when you couldn't get 10 and you had to work to that point. Yeah. Right. That's it. That's so, so I could, I could offer the reflection of, you know, at a time you, you put effort in to improve your performance mm-hmm. and you focus, you focused on a skill that you wanted to improve. And, and you've just said, mm-hmm, which it means that you agree with what I've said. So you're processing that as a, as a source of maybe that says something about me. Whereas if I just say, oh, that's good that you improved your performance in the free throw, that means I'm praising you for my uh, judgment of you've improved and I think you improving is a good thing. Whereas if, if you actually appraise yourself internally, that means it's more of an intrinsic type of confidence. I find that quite useful for motivational interviewing, but another like next level sort of step that I would go to is actually asking the athlete, when you improved your confidence or when you improved your free throws, what did that say about you, about that process that you went through? And let them nearly ask themselves the question. Uh, and because they then have to verbalize that, it becomes a much more powerful source of confidence. I think one of the big things for me from the motivational interview in literature is that affirmations build confidence and confidence is necessary for behavior change and management or maintenance of a behavior change which is obviously what sport is all about is changing our behavior for a higher higher level of performance um i think that's really interesting i think what this is showing is that actually there are a lot of different ways to approach this a lot of different perspectives to to come from as to how we might go ahead and, and and build confidence. You just talked about MI. There's kind of classic CBT stuff where we're focusing on behaviors. And like you said, you know, like we talked about earlier, faking it till you make it. Can I behave in a confident way in the hope that that will somehow make me confident? There's the ACT approach, which I was talking about, which is the acceptance of current states and being courageous and brave and acting anyway. So there's a whole load of different ways that we can approach this same topic. And again, it all comes back to, well, what are we actually trying to do? What does confidence mean to that athlete? So, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, we're just going to have to leave this up to our audience to decide. Uh, You've broke it down nicely there. I'm aware that one thing that we haven't really talked about today is team confidence and how do we build that? How do we build team efficacy and team confidence? What's the coach's role there? And speaking of coaches, we haven't really talked about coaching confidence as well. You know, how do we help the coach to build their confidence as a leader? Um, We haven't really got time to go into that in this episode, but what we are going to do is come back to this in another episode of 80% Mental. So why don't you... Tweet us, 
get in touch via our website, www.80percentmental.com, uh, and leave us a comment. What does confidence mean to you? How do you build confidence? What are your sources of confidence? We've talked about a lot of things in this episode for athletes and for psychs as well. Um, we've talked about what confidence is. We've talked about some of the related terms like self-efficacy, like self-esteem. And I think one of the big take-homes from this episode really is about finding out what things mean to the individual because confidence can be multidimensional. So we need to know whether we're talking about confidence in skills, confidence in ability to manage emotions, or confidence in something else. We talked about getting confidence from those stable, controllable sources, and perhaps the role of the coach in inspiring confidence too. But the question we started off with was, is confidence overrated? It seems like it's a pretty important thing, but I still think that courage is more important than confidence. We can be scared and we can be brave at the same time. So like I say, maybe let us know what you think. Leave a comment at the website or tweet us at EPM Podcast. A rate and review on Apple would help people to find us. But if you've got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or whatever, and you think anybody that you know might be interested in what we're talking about, please do share this or any of our other episodes. You could also spray paint it on the side of your granny's bungalow. You could do that. I would get your granny's permission first, though. Yeah. Just a legal disclaimer there. <laughs> anyway, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and I will see you next time. I won't see you. It's a podcast. <laughs>